Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. Hello, everyone. Today, we're talking about Halloween. Did you know that Halloween comes from the ancient Gaelic festival of Samhain, which was held during the time when the Celts believed the boundary between our world and the spirit world grew thin, allowing demons, fairies, and ghosts to enter our realm? To protect themselves, these ancient pagans employed several strategies designed to appease and misdirect these nefarious spirits from messing with them. Now, today, in our secular age, most Americans who participate in Halloween neither believe in this ancient mythology, nor are they even aware of it when they dress their children in costumes and ring doorbells for free candy. What is a Christian to do? On one end, purists refuse to participate and put signs on their doors alerting trick-or-treaters not to disturb them. And on the other, Christians decorate their lawns with grisly scenes from horror movies and encourage their children to dress up as ghosts and monsters. Listen to this episode of Allscript as we discuss this seasonal issue and try to figure out what should we do and what should our boundaries be. Welcome to Offscript, everyone. It's so great to have you with us for our special Halloween edition. Welcome to the Halloween Offscript. Very scary voice there. And today we're talking about the question of Halloween and how we should think about that from a biblical and Christian perspective. Last year, I had a friend invite me on Facebook to some sort of Halloween bonfire called Samhain, although it was spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, which is some sort of ancient Celtic ritual. And I really was torn on whether or not I should go to this because I thought it would be a really great opportunity to develop relationships, and maybe have an open door to speak, especially about spiritual things, considering it was technically a pagan festival. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When I looked up what this sort of thing was, I was kind of surprised to see how overtly occultist it was. After serious reflection, I decided that I shouldn't go as a Christian, because it would be attending an event where at least some of the people present we're probably worshiping other gods. And that was a line I had to draw. Could I eat a burger that was cooked there the next day if it was not any longer an occultic celebration? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Depends if you're the weaker brother or the stronger brother there, Sean, uh, what your conscience can handle. So anyhow, this year I looked up Samhain in Wikipedia, and it says that it's a time of bonfires and goes back to this ancient Celtic practice where they believed that it was a liminal time. In other words, a time when the boundary between this world and the spiritual world could be easily crossed. So that means that spirits or fairies could come out from the spiritual realm into our world, and that as a result of that, people needed to take measures to protect themselves. In particular, they believe that 
one particular demon needed to be propitiated in order to ensure that people and their livestock survive the winter. Of course, Samhain or Halloween is, is right before the cold season. The ancient Celts offered food and drink they left outside for these demons and fairies and spirits, and they knew that the souls of the dead could visit them in their homes. And so they had feasts, and they would even set an extra seat for dead loved ones, and they had practices of mumming and guising, and they went door-to-door in costume or some sort of disguise, reciting verses in exchange for food. And so, you know, it's not clear exactly what the costumes signified, but it seems like a lot of, you know, of course, I'm I'm depending on Wikipedia here, but it seems like a lot of the sources are pretty sketchy because they're, they're not really many written sources of this event. But anyhow, back to my story about getting invited to a Samhain festival last year. Since the 20th century, Celtic neo-pagans and Wiccans have observed this holiday and have made it a religious holiday. And I'm not sure if they actually believe any of the theology that goes with it. If they do believe in it, then they think that during this one day of the year, the spiritual realm and the physical realm are somehow interconnected. It reminds me of like a Thor movie I saw, where like (laughs) the realms lined up and weird stuff happened. As far as my own thinking about it went, I felt like I I couldn't participate in it. I feel that way because of my reading of 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 8 says that Christians don't need to worry about eating food sacrificed to idols because we know that there's no idols. There's only For us, there's not many gods. There's only one God, not many lords, but only one Lord, and so on. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, classic one God text. But then 1 Corinthians 10, the apostle says that you cannot eat at the food of the Lord, the, the, the table of the Lord, and the table of demons. And I think that between those two, what, what you can reconstruct is that to eat the food that had been sacrificed to idols or to demons was fine so long as it wasn't, it wasn't participating in the actual ceremony. In other words, if you were at the temple, and the whole city would go to these things, because it was the, according to Paul Fredrickson, the ritual redistribution of red meat. And on a society where most people are at subsistence and you're eating grains, red meat's a big deal. You know, people would go and they would participate in whatever cultic celebration went along with killing the animal and butchering it and grilling up the barbecue. And the Christians couldn't participate in that, but they could eat that food because the food actually is not contaminated. Mm-hmm. It's more like the space is contaminated. So, anyhow, because of all that, I decided I couldn't go to Sawin last year. <laughs> I haven't really regretted it. I think it's interesting because we'll probably talk about this more later on, but Halloween is sort of the great-grandchild of Samhain. I read up on uh, history.com, Sean, which I think was a little bit more authoritative, but it said <laughs> pretty much, oh, Dan printed it out. Uh, but it's uh, said pretty much the same thing, although this, I'm sure, I was properly annotated and sourced and all that. But Samhain, well, it, it often talks about Halloween becoming like largely a secular uh, event now with very few people actually associating any sort of spiritual meaning right. uh, to the traditions yeah. that remain, the rituals that remain. Um, but Samhain was very different and it was heavily based on legitimate beliefs and a lot of fears and obsessions that these people had about the spiritual world. So I think we might 
have discussions and we will have discussions tonight about what extent uh, the Christian really should think about celebrating or observing Halloween, but mm-hmm. especially with it being Samhain, like the source that was so deeply based in the occult, um, I think you made a wise decision. Yeah. The other book that I depend on for thinking about this is a really good one. And you should have it, Dan, if you don't already, because you're Irish. And it's called How the Irish Saved Civilization. And I, I forget who, uh, by Cahill. Uh, it's a very scholarly book, actually. And it's all about St. Patrick. And in that book, he goes on to describe the Celtic people of Ireland who were not civilized by the Roman Empire. The Romans never conquered Ireland. And That's right. <laughs> and as a result of that lack of Roman influence, the, the Irish were typical pagans and they but the way they lived and how they their theology worked itself out in their lives it was really fear-based and these people were tortured and they were it's not like the gods made them happy they made them afraid and i think Samhain went along with that mindset of this is a time where i have to appease the gods they don't mess with me and quite honestly i don't think my friend probably believes in any of this stuff. He probably just wanted to go to a bonfire. And at the same time, I don't think anyone, at least that I know, unless you're a a Wiccan or something, actually believes in the old theology of this holiday either. Mm -hmm. However, if it's celebrated or thought of in the sense of a special day where spirits are able to cross over, especially dead people, Mm -hmm. then that is going to raise a lot of issues, biblical issues from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Because over and over, God says, like Leviticus 19.31, do not turn to mediums or necromancers, do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. Or Leviticus 26, if a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, very strong language, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Usually with prohibitions in the law of Moses, God prescribes a punishment. Frequently, it's the death penalty, in fact. But here, God says, I will cut him off. <laughs> so, so it's like God takes it personally if you want to go mess around with mediums. But that's people that are in touch with dead spirits and that sort of thing. So for me, that's like a non-starter. Like anybody's messing with a Ouija board or a seance or anything that deals with the dead or demonic activity, I just don't want to have any dealings with that personally because of these texts. But that's not necessarily what people are thinking today for Halloween, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think that's your point, right? Yeah, well, it was largely, everything I read really called it a secular holiday today where it's just the leftovers of, you know, all the deep-rooted uh, spirituality and fear from thousands of years ago. Yeah. I think we as Christians, though, can't really look at it as a purely secular holiday because those roots come up. And for people are having Samhain bonfires, whether they believe it or not, right. it's still around. And we do, there are gray areas. I think you came to something that for most of us, we would agree that was would be a black area where you're not going to go to that. Um, we do have gray areas left in Halloween, secular, or, or I guess I should say maybe spiritual. We have to analyze it and figure out what is wise for us to do, what is unwise, and how to continue to glorify God throughout. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And perhaps more than any other time of the year, Halloween provides an opportunity for the devil and devil worship and spirits to work. So, yeah, to be cognizant of that and the fact that we are fighting on a spiritual plane, I think around Halloween, the Christian has to be particularly sensitive to 
what they're exposing themselves to. If you have kids, what you're exposing your kids to mm -hmm. and what you're allowing into your heart. Going along with the history a little bit, allegedly All Saints Day got moved to November 1st back in the 8th century by Pope Gregory III, thereby making October 31st All Saints Eve, which in Old English is All Hallows Eve or Halloween. And so that is a, a typical maneuver that the Roman Catholic Church used to basically take over a pagan festival with a Christian one and that makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, people are already setting aside this one day every year mm -hmm. to do whatever. And so now they want to be Christian. They're like, well, what am I going to do on October 31st? Just stay home? And they're like, no, no. It's All Saints Day now. <laughs> Actually, it's the eve before All Saints Day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, is, it is rather a brilliant maneuver if you think about it. And this isn't um, the only time that the church tried to do away with something like that and replace it with their own holiday. I believe Christmas. That's where we similar, got Christmas too. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that's what they, what they would do is to kind of, you know, they, they don't believe they have enough traction maybe with these peoples to replace this deep set native um, holiday, but they'll be like, all right, let's, let's keep the celebration, but we'll kind of mess with it and put our own slant on it um, sort of to syncretize. Right. And I, I think a lot of Leviticus is there against syncretism, if you think about it, because mm -hmm. the laws God gives his people are to prevent them from mixing with the nations. And I think there's a lot of anti-syncretistic commands in the New Testament as well, where it says, be separate from the world, yeah. that sort of language. But at the same time, or, and this is an ancient Christian origin points out, and usually whenever I quote origin, it's to point out how he's wrong about something. So this is a, <laughs> one of the very few times where I, I think origin actually has a little bit of wisdom. We'll make a note of this, Sean. <laughs> yes, what's the date? Um, <laughs> anyhow, origin makes this point in his letter to Gregory, and he asks the question, where did the gold for the Ark of the Covenant come from? When the Israelites were in the wilderness, after they had crossed the Red Sea, they made the Ark of the Covenant, and they made the implements for the tabernacle and the golden jar that held the manna and all this other stuff. He says, well, where, where did all that gold come from? Well, it came from the pagan Egyptians. Mm -hmm. And that's because right before they left, the Israelites asked to borrow some of their gold, right? And their, <laughs> their costly raiments. Yeah, so and, they plundered the Egyptians. Right, and that's how they plundered the Egyptians. But that's pagan Egyptian gold, probably dedicated in some way to the Egyptian gods. Mm -hmm. And it was brought through the Red Sea and out the other side, and now it's consecrated for God's use. And so we actually see the Reformers doing this, the Protestants doing this. As of the year 1717, which is 200 years after the Protestant Reformation began, they start celebrating October 31st, which was the day that Martin Luther put the 95 Theses on the church door at Wittenberg, uh, October 31st, 1517. Uh, they started celebrating that day as Reformation Day. And it's funny, I have I have one friend, probably in the whole world, <laughs> that knows this. And every every Halloween, he sends me an email saying, Happy Reformation Day. And he's like Aww. this one random guy that... We could all dress up as Martin Luther. <laughs> well, that's, that's funny, but Luther, Lutheran churches do that. They dress up as Martin Luther, oh, and, awesome. and they have enactions, reenactments of critical moments from his life, like the Diet of Worms when he, when he was brought to 
account for his writings. He said, are you the author of these writings? And he had to either say yes or no. And it was the pivotal moment of everything. But, and, and, they, and the other thing the Lutherans do is they sing the, uh, the hymn that Luther wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, mm-hmm. which of course was an old bar tune that he just put new words to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyhow, so it's not like this is so foreign of a thing to do, taking over a holiday and Christianizing it. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know, it's kind of a brilliant maneuver from a missionary perspective. Like, say you're a missionary to a culture that celebrates whatever day as, as some sort of significant thing. If you can find a way to do something Christian on the same day, then they're already in the habit of doing it, and they can replace it with something that's godly rather than going to talk to the ancient ancestors or killing animals to honor some pagans. God, you know. Mm-hmm. Interesting, though, to look at the difference between Christmas, which, I mean, we can talk about what Christmas has become today versus, you know, actually celebrating the birth of Christ, but it's largely stayed uh, rooted as, you know, a Christian holiday. Um, but All Saints Day, it may be on the calendar, but I don't think it's widely celebrated anything near yeah. what Halloween is. Yeah. Maybe if you're a Catholic or an Episcopalian, but, or maybe a Lutheran, but mm-hmm. generally speaking, All Saints Day has fallen away Mm -hmm. it's sort of like the leftover whereas halloween is the main meal Mm -hmm. what's a christian to do you know you can dress up in a costume any day of the year right there's nothing in the bible that says you can't dress in a costume (laughs) my kids dress up in costumes all the time actually they have quite a few downstairs and that can be fun or creative i always think of the office tv show where was the guy jim Jim something. Oh, yeah. Jim Halpert. Yes, Jim Halpert. One year he wrote the word book on his cheek. And... <laughs> it's <His> Facebook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was like, I love that. But uh, he's like, don't make fun of my costume. And so anyhow, I, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing a costume or wearing a costume on this one day. I mean, if you're wearing a costume to ward away demons and spirits of dead ancestors, then we're going to have a problem. Because that's theologically tapping into this pagan element. But if you're wearing a costume to have fun or, or to get free candy, I don't see how that's a problem. The other aspect of it, too, is I noticed this especially when I first moved into the, this neighborhood I'm in right now. Of course, neighborhoods in America, if they're anything like my present experience, they're very isolated. It's very difficult to get to know the neighbors. Mm-hmm. They are each leading their own lives very independently of each other. There are no neighborhood centers. Unless you're an expert starting conversation randomly when you see somebody in the midst of them going somewhere else, you're really at a loss to meet people in a natural way. So when we first moved here, that was one of the biggest opportunities we had mm-hmm. was this. there's this one day out of the year where the culture says it's not weird to go knock on your neighbor's doors and introduce yourself. And Ruth and I met people that first year that we would have never found out their names or what they're like. And obviously you want to have the kids there as an excuse because mm. otherwise it can get a little weird if you're like a middle-aged guy like <laughs> randomly knocking with, on doors. With face written on your, uh, or with, yeah. Yeah, with <laughs> book, book written on your face. Imagine a costume. So Sean, I have a question for you because I don't have kids and I don't live in a, in a neighborhood like this. What do you do if you are going around and you come upon a house where the homeowner 
was particularly zealous in his Halloween decoration. And he's got gravestones in the front yard. And he's got a skeleton hanging from the window. And he's got you a have witch. have a freaky one right down the road, actually. I've yeah. seen that. So it's actually my kid's best friend. Oh. <laughs> it is. It's like a graveyard. So my question is, what do you do when you're out trick-or-treating in that situation? Well, we vandalize. <laughs> yeah. no, that I'm makes just, it all better. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we deface. Actually, honestly, that's the I haven't been tempted to vandalize since I was a teenager, except for when it comes to this time of year and I start seeing people hang up that caution tape around their trees, mm-hmm. like a police crime scene and, tape. And I, yeah, and I, and I want to just like tear it down secretly and, and run away. <laughs> and I'm like, take that. But uh, I haven't, for the record, I have not, and uh, I will not admit to it even if I did. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, Plead the no, fifth. No, I haven't. But yeah, I just obviously we explained to the kids, and we skipped those houses. Okay, that's what you I know, was I mean, wondering. There, there, there are some that are absolutely R-rated, where they have body parts strewn about and yeah. fake blood, and we don't go anywhere near them. I mean, yeah. my kids are, my youngest is five, so I mean... That that could psychologically damage him. And that's something that I don't understand why how people don't don't see that. You know, like I'm in the Home Depot with my five year old, and we're trying to buy a washer or a screw or some piece of hardware, and they've got a display of some of the most horrific looking creatures outside of Hollywood. And th- how is that not going to traumatize little people as they're in the store? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I just don't understand our culture's insensitivity. Like. There, there, it seems like our culture is so sensitive to so many things. That's true. Yeah. And yet, I don't know. I, I'm puzzled I guess, by it, and I, and I don't. And I also like, as a Christian, like I don't get the culture of death. Like, why are we obsessed with the culture of death? Why are we celebrating that? Do your kids understand when you skip those houses why you're skipping them, or do you just kind of fast walk past them and? Uh, no, we explain. We explain. Not much is sinking in. I don't think when candy's on the on the line. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I always think of this one, I think it was a Seinfeld episode where he was, he was talking about explaining Halloween to, to your kids for the first time. And you're like, look, I've got something to tell you guys. And the kids are like, what, what, what is it? You say, well, there's this one special day of the year where you can ring doorbells and people will give you candy for free. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like from a kid's perspective, it's like the greatest yeah. thing in the world Ruth and I really struggle with this and we go back and forth on it and we didn't participate at all for a number of years when our kids were really young. We decided that our rule would be the kids are not allowed to dress up as something evil Mm. or spiritual and that the rest of it was was fine. The whole thing takes like an hour, honestly. Mm -hmm. You go out, you ring some doorbells, you get some candy, you come home, they eat a bunch of it and then they save the rest. And there's nothing objective. I I, I realize I'm I, as I'm talking, I'm like I'm gonna get so many Christian purists. That right. That well, that was my next. Feedback that's my next question. Me. Where there's like well, you know that's I, that whole zero tolerance sort of. Well, I want to hear. I want to hear their arguments. I want to hear what yeah. a purist has to say. Well, and, I hope I hope we do hear that, and I hope that people do comment because yeah. I'm interested as well. You know, separating the origin of a celebration from the modern day and your modern day enactment of that tradition i mean obviously we all we're all in agreement that there's a line well let me ask you guys this since you grew up in christian homes did you participate in halloween growing up i remember rarely we would but it was the same kind of parameters where 
you know, my mom certainly wouldn't let me. I mean, my mom didn't let me go to uh, Les Mis when I was in. I was the only kid that didn't get on the bus in elementary school. Yeah, I don't. I forget. So you know, we had a sort of pretty strict policy with that. So but I did remember. You, did you go ring doorbells and get yeah. candy? I remember a few years we did, and we always had a bowl of candy near the door on Halloween. Right. Well, that's participating too. Right. I just I remember not being so into it for whatever reason. I was into dressing up and having costumes and stuff, but that was like many days of the year, not right, right, mm-hmm. not Halloween. What about you, Rose? Well, my parents made an adorable little bird costume for me when I was four. Took a million pictures. They built it up like crazy. I went trick-or-treating that year, and that was the last year I was allowed to go trick-or-treating. And I think I really wish they hadn't let me go that one year. Well, I think they read up about it Okay. by the time I was five. Uh, And after that, we weren't doing it anymore. So, But our neighborhood was like absolutely huge destination for trick-or-treating in our small town. So we had tons of people coming by. So my parents always had tons of candy. My mom would try to have apples and stuff like that. And then they would have a ton of gospel tracks. <laughs> oh, man, you were the apple house. Pass out to everyone. <laughs> no, we had candy. Well, no, my dad always made sure we had candy because he was like, we were passing out gospel tracks. And he's like, well, right. if we just have apples, we can't pass out the tracks. So we got to have candy. Right. We'll give them some of the good stuff. So I, you know, as a kid, I really wish they hadn't let me go that one year because I adore dress up love dress up um and i love candy i have a sweet tooth too but i respected them like i always did for staying away from that my parents are definitely purists and i don't think they really like the idea of any christian observing it in any way ever i do dress up now for work my whole team is going to be ninjas Uh, we can't wait but you're not sorcerer ninjas (laughs) (laughs) no we're not sorcerer ninjas and when i when i do dress up i always make sure it's something innocent and something that's totally in line with the bible and glorifies god for people like my parents if it's wrong for you to observe halloween in any sort of way don't do it um, just because other people are doing it, uh, as Sean talked about in First Corinthians, it very clearly delineates there. And um, if it's against your conscience, I think it's something you need to steer clear of entirely. And then nobody should judge you for that. Did you celebrate Christmas? Oh, yeah. Although my mom got m- more like anti sort of as time went on. Um, so did you always have a tree? Oh, yes. That my dad cut down with his own hands. Interesting. Because so what was their reasoning then? Behind Christmas? Behind not doing the Halloween. Is it that Oh yeah. it originally had pagan roots? Or yes. was it more that other people celebrate it today by dressing up as evil monsters and all that all kind of, of thing? All of it. Like all of it all throughout. There would be there would be occasional bits of vandalism too around. Our house never got hit, but one time our pumpkins did get rolled down the hill. <laughs> my parents were really upset with that. But they, again, um, my parents would they were ones to really stay away from evil and if they thought something could be a problem and they had five kids if they thought it would be more problematic than it would be beneficial my parents did not hesitate to draw the line and say that's not worth it so Mm. you know i think they were kind of restrictive but i totally respect the fact that honoring god was their number one objective and even though that was a very unpopular decision among their children they stuck to their guns and they they followed god you know the best they could we need your dad to call into the studio. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he would. <laughs> yeah. My brother, likewise, is a purist, and he, he won't have anything to mm-hmm. do with it. Yeah. And he said to me, because I talked to him a few weeks ago, he said, our family doesn't celebrate Halloween. And the way people say our family doesn't celebrate Christmas, uh, I was interesting. I'd never heard anyone say that before, but I respected him for that. Yeah. 
We talked a little bit um, about the culture of death and uh, in reading mm. up about it, Halloween has its basis in the Celtic festival, Samhain. But in reading up about it, um, there are many people all over the world. Obviously, we have the Mexican Day of the Dead. There's also celebrations coming out of Brazil, Bolivia, Asian. We have um, one for the Chinese, for the Japanese, Vietnam, Korea, Nepal, Philippines, all over the world. Um, this is a common thing and has been throughout world history that people would have something, some sort of festival or celebration focusing on connecting with the dead. As I understand it, All Saints Day was a result of a martyrdom issue, whereas before that, they would honor martyrs, Christian martyrs, people who died for their faith on a certain day of the year. But after the Great Persecution, which was 303 to 313 under the Emperor Diocletian, so many Christians died that there just wouldn't be days in the year. I mean, thousands of people died. Mm -hmm. And so the church wanted to still honor these heroes of the faith who stayed faithful until the end. And All Saints Day was sort of the result of that, saying, hey, this is one day of the year where we're going to honor all the saints, all the people who have stood faithful until the end. And, you know, to think that originally that went from such noble intentions to a time of year where people dress up in costumes to avoid personal responsibility and then go to parties and hook up. You know, I mean, like, how do you get from there to here? Mm -hmm. But I think the the answer is it got amalgamated in with this Samhain idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a culture... A culture is going to find a way to celebrate something that is in line with the values of that culture, yes. whatever it might be. Well, I'd go a bit further and say that the devil is going to find a way to appropriate oh, yeah. mm-hmm. things that are to be used for good and for the glorification of God. Like we talk about in apologetics, the connection between science and proofs for God existing and creationism. But what is science known for today being sort of contradictory to that message and you know there's probably dozens of examples of that but yeah i think yeah you can um use halloween as an excuse to do pretty dark things and you can also just walk around your neighborhood with your kids and get candy and chat up your neighbors and that's great and like with movies like we talked about last time on off script it comes down to you know your personal where you personally draw the line. And I think that line is related to, to a degree to how pure that you want to be in your, and intentional rather, that you want to be in your relationship and, and your pursuit and just how susceptible you are to those influences. You know, you got to be honest with yourself about, you know, is this going to make me sort of go down a path that's not in line with glorifying God? Yeah, I think there are so many different ranges of responses to Halloween from a Christian perspective on the one far end you have the house that hangs a sign outside the door that says we don't celebrate pagan festivals and they don't answer the door and they don't have any candy it's like your self-righteousness teaching (laughs) (laughs) so good and uh, and then from there, you have the next step up, which it sounds like what Rose's family did, where they didn't allow their children to participate, but they facilitated the participation of other children by having candy. Well, but they then facilitated... they slipped a gospel tract yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they turned it around for, for good. And you can totally... I mean, that's it's a great opportunity to sort of... We talk about the harvest season. That's part of Halloween. We talk about 
you know, sort of blessing the harvest and wanting it to be fruitful. I mean, you can totally use that as an occasion to take what the devil turned uh, into something evil to a degree and use it to glorify God, do it right back at him. And I think that's a little bit of what Rose's parents tried to do is reclaim a bit of that territory. Mm-hmm. Did you see Brian's comment on your stance? Did you see that? The, the position you very firmly staked out mm-hmm. on the Uh-oh. haunted house issue. Uh, he said, I'm with Dan. It's <laughs> like, I side with Dan. It's totally wrong. And that's kind of like the same thing, though, if you think about it, that a haunted house basically subverted and taken over for the purpose of preaching the gospel to people is very similar to slipping tracks into the candy bars. My parents would have been so dead against Scaremare if I even told my parents about Scaremare. Okay, so you, though, they would there's have been no super, parallel at all. Oh, no. I'm not saying there's no parallel, but it is not very similar. <laughs> that is no way. Okay. Participating or, or, or viewing you know, horrific scenes in an effort to bring people closer to God is a lot different than putting a pamphlet in somebody's bag with some, some candy. Some candy, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no evil element in the... Well, you scare mare. There was an e- there was an element of. of well, hold on. From de- a purist perspective, evil. from purist <laughs> this is perspective, though, you are participating in the ancient pagan festival of Samhain by uh, giving candy to kids. Yeah, you're participating. I mean, when we talked about scare mare at, at Rose's college, there was a level of investment in participating as a scarer mm-hmm. in this right scare mare event and scaring people of sin. I'm going to finish my point and then we can go to that. But there's a level, there's a level of investment in scaring people for, for God, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and then participating in, and trying to, you know, get scared either because you want to experience this thing or because, you know, at the end you're going to talk to people that are trying to give you a gospel message. So there's, so there's a level of investment there that I would argue is so far away from getting tracts and handing them out to kids that otherwise would have already come to your door looking for candy. Mm-hmm. You're not enacting in scare mare where you're like scaring the crap out of them and then being like, here's candy in a tract, you know, like, right. <laughs> so I would argue that, no, I don't think it's a participation in Samhain just because you're giving candy at your door and handing them a track. I would argue you're taking advantage of a pre-existing tradition and using it to further the gospel. Mm-hmm. Did you want to say something, Rose? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I largely agree with what you said. And my parents would probably say very similar things if they were here. And certainly in their minds, they were in no way entering into the celebration of it, but standing against it. But you do raise an interesting point, uh, Sean, where you are piggyback on the event and uh, being a bit of devil's advocate tonight. <laughs> but that that is interesting. Well, it's something I've wondered for myself. Yeah. As Christians, should we abstain from any of it? And if so, then how do you let people know? Well, you put a sign on the door. And I, I, obviously, I was being a little sarcastic with the text of that sign, but I know Christians that do that. They put up a sign that say we don't celebrate Halloween, and they turn off the lights, mm-hmm. and they discourage people from coming there. There was one year where we just left and went to my parents' lake house, just went out. Um, but most of the time, my parents are there. Yeah. So I would look at Jesus to a degree in this context. I think you can draw a parallel between... The fact that Jesus, he went out into the world, he spoke with sinners, he spoke with tax collectors, prostitutes, in an effort to spread his message. And what is the benefit of completely shuttering your your door and turning out all the lights and putting a sign on your door condemning people for participating in this 
tradition, which they don't really understand anyway, most of them, mm-hmm. versus the benefit of giving them a piece of candy and using... Being a good neighbor? Being a good neighbor. Loving your neighbor as yourself? Right. I would argue that if Jesus had an A-B choice, he would choose to give the candy and then maybe chat with I think Jesus would trick or treat. I, I yeah. think, I, honestly, Jesus probably... I'm just talking off now the cuff. Now the comments the, are going to come in. <laughs> I'm just talking off the cuff here, but I bet Jesus would go with the freaks, the weirdos, the uh, people that dress in the most bizarre costumes. He would not dress in a bizarre costume yeah. himself, but he would reach out to these people. He would love them and he would share the gospel with them. And either they would leave because they're not interested mm-hmm. or they would stay and get an earful and hopefully repent because he would call them to repentance. I mean, he was not just like going to accept whatever behavior, but he would go where the people were that were in sin and that would be known as sinners. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing. Like what, maybe, maybe as Christians, we need to be out in the neighborhoods instead mm. of in our houses. So here, here's the bottom line because we, we are running out of time here. If a Christian asked you, Rose, Hey, can I go trick or treating? And they were a sincere Bible believing Christian, you know, they weren't from, a Wiccan background where October 31st was the day of some sort of weird pagan festival. They were just like a normal, I don't know, American Mm -hmm. who is now a a genuine Christian. Let's say they've been a Christian for a year and they say, Hey, can I go trick or treating with my kids or or as Christians? Are we against that? What would you say? Mm -hmm. I'd say pray about it. Um, I'd say it's really up to your conscience and whether you can be right before God doing this. Some people can't, and I would definitely mention my parents. My parents couldn't be right before God um, celebrating it and trick-or-treating after a certain point, so they abstained. If you're able to do it, and especially if you think it would be okay for your kids to do it without um, confusing your kids or um, or you know giving um, the adversary some foothold in their lives, um, then you can consider it. I would say it's probably not going to be super beneficial for you to do it. Um, you do have to take that into consideration. Um, there could be downsides of it. Pray about it and and know who you are before God and your strengths to handle this holiday and then proceed wisely and cautiously. I also uh, would like to read a passage here from Romans 14. This is talking about sort of the differences between Christians and how we will go out and do things differently based on our consciences and based on our convictions. This is Romans, I guess I'll read uh, 14 six through nine, the one who observes the day. This is um, like obviously like largely a Jewish holiday rather than something like Halloween, but sort of the same individual um, approach applies. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. That's referring to me um, offered to idols here. Paul says, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. I like that passage very much for not just Halloween, but gray areas. And knowing that um, that God is bigger than all of this. We live and we die to God. All things that we do must be done for his glory. But reading passages like this, being honest with your own conscience before God, you have to make this decision for yourself and possibly for your kids. You should do it wisely. And and God's glory and God's honor should always be the first consideration. What about you, Dan? What would you say? Uh, like Rose, I would say, you know, pray about it. And I definitely fall on the side of, you know, your personal responsibility and where you feel comfortable with God. If they ask me personally, you know, are you going trick-or-treating? 
well at your age yeah <laughs> that might be a little weird yeah i just i just i was like no i'm not gonna go i got stuff are you to going do. to it's parties birthday <laughs> no like not that either i'm going downstate to the question the question is usually not an issue for adults it's more like right. hey should i punish my kids for being christian or can they go get candy for free mm-hmm. by dressing up i would land on the side that you came down that you and ruth came down on sean that you can find a way to do this and i would even argue that you can find a way to glorify God with it and you can turn it into an opportunity. So if somebody were to ask me that question, I would say, go trick or treating with your kids, have fun. Obviously you don't want to glorify evil in any way, but also when you're praying about this, pray for opportunities to spread the gospel in whatever way you can. I mean, you're talking with your neighbors, you're interacting with other people in the community. I mean, it's a great, like you said at the top, it's a great opportunity to meet people and to be out there. Maybe dress up as someone from the Bible. Right. There's, it's even Halloween. As, you could do whatever you want. Even as, <laughs> even as the parent, you know, yeah. and, and people be like, oh, wow, you're really getting into this. Be like, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, John the Baptist or I'm Elijah. <laughs> Who, who's the really hairy one? I'm Tishbite. Esau. Yeah. No, Elisha the, tish, the Tishbite. Yeah, Elisha the Tishbite. There could be some interesting <laughs> costume options yeah. there. <laughs> and I mean, I think as Christians, we're called to push back and we're called to fight back. And you can use Halloween to do that. Richard Wilkinson just walked in, and I just since he comes from another country, I thought we'd ask him, did you go trick-or-treating growing up, or is that something they even do in England? It is something they do. Um, I, I never did myself. I don't remember ever doing it. I remember once dressing up at like a school thing where they were doing it for Halloween, but I... I went as like a BMX rider or something with a helmet on and everything. But that was the only time I remember doing anything for Halloween. It is very popular, just as it is over here. I just never really wanted to, I guess. I don't remember having to argue with my parents about it. I just never really wanted to. That's like the lamest answer. (laughs) There was no struggle. You didn't care. The BMX thing was cool. So he's the same. He's as pure as you are, Rose. Oh, that's good. Rose did it once, too. Just once. Once. Just once. She was only four. four. Yeah. There's photos to prove it. Yeah, I think she, I was six. <laughs> she's purer than you then. Anything else you want to say about Halloween? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Richard. All right. So drawing things to a, con- a close, do you have any concluding thoughts? I really like what you said, Dan, about if you can use it as an opportunity you know, similar to how my parents did. But if you do want to get out in the neighborhood, actually similar to what you did, Sean, if you have nothing wrong with doing it in your conscience, Jesus was very um, adamant about keeping himself pure and keeping himself sinless as, you know, all of our salvations hinged on that. Right. But he was not afraid to get out and to interact uh, with it in for the purpose of doing kingdom business. Um, if you can do that, and that's a great way to look at it, to really flip it around in the adversary's face, go do that kingdom business on Halloween. Yeah. I think if you're a new Christian or if you're dealing with something that is a, a special temptation to you, then you do have to draw that line. Mm. If somebody came from a Wiccan background or from some sort of neo-pagan background and they just became a Christian, I would say, hey, you need to stop celebrating this because for you it does mean something spiritual. You just need to stay away from that. But the way Halloween is celebrated in most American suburbs especially with kids, it's just like totally harmless. You, you go around, you ring the doorbell, you get some candy. And then when you get to become a teenager, then you do run into more issues where it, people get into vandalism and all this kind of thing. Obviously, that is not proper for a Christian. And then 
especially as you get older and you get into going to parties and living a kind of dual life when you have a costume on, you can do whatever you want and just go crazy. Well, that's obviously not allowable for Christians. So I think there, either you don't do it at all or you do it, but you do it with clear boundaries that you understand and you do it to the glory of God as all things. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do it, you can't do it. It's not, it's not a big deal. One of the advantages that Jesus had was that he, he didn't fly solo. He was surrounded by... A posse? A, yeah, yeah. He had, a, he had a posse going, so... <laughs> If this is something that you want to do, I would say, you know, try to do it with your Christian friends, uh, if possible. And, and like we were saying before, use it for, for good and sort of flip the script. Uh, go off script. Go off script. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks for listening, guys, as always. And please leave us feedback. Uh, we love to hear from you. Uh, negative, positive, neutral, whatever you guys, any encouragement, any questions, advice, we love to hear from you. So, um Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. And we realize uh, this can be controversial, so please respectfully share uh, your point of view with us and what you have done and what you will do um, in the future on October 31st. Thank you, guys. As always, it's been a pleasure. I'll finish off with just a British version. Cheerio. (laughs) Very appropriate. Take care, everyone. Before I wrap up this episode, I want to read out some recent feedback. On our last Offscript episode, Should Christians Watch Horror Movies?, Brian says, Another great addition to the Offscript series. I enjoyed the dialogue between you all. Regarding the haunted house topic, I would have to side with Dan. Thanks for taking the time to discuss this concept. Well, Dan, there's a point for you that Christians should not use haunted houses to scare the hell out of people and preach the gospel to them. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Go ahead and listen to the last off script on horror movies and you'll get informed about what Liberty University is using as one of their evangelism outreaches. Also, on Interview 7, an analytic philosopher unleashes logic on the Trinity, or should we say Trinities, as there's more than just one theory. Dale Tuggy, the man himself, the professor of Fredonia, writes... Thanks for this, Pastor Finnegan. You did a great job on both of these interview episodes. I plug the Restitutio podcast at the end of my latest episode. Keep up the great work. Thanks a lot, Dale. I really appreciate you being willing to come on the episode. A lot of people are downloading that episode, and I encourage you, if you're a Restitutio listener and you haven't yet checked out Dale's podcast, Trinities, that you would take a listen and see what he's all about. He just did a couple of episodes on Mormonism, which were fabulous. And then he has just done a couple of interviews with Dr. J.R. Daniel Kirk on his book, arguing that if you limit yourself to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you end up with a human Jesus. Probably not a big surprise to most of us here listening to this, but definitely a great contribution in the evangelical scholarly world. Also on that same interview, number seven, William says, thank you so much for these podcasts. Sean, you are doing great work for God. Love hearing Dale and yourself speaking truth in scripture. Thank you. And last of all, Edmund, also on 
Interview 7 with Dale Tuggy says, Thanks for all your work online. I've been wrestling through issues related to the doctrine of God for several years and have hugely benefited from all that you've done. Thank you. I'm also a big fan of Dr. Tuggy's work online. So these last two episodes of the podcast have been great. Very, very helpful. Well, thanks, Brian, Dale, William, and Edmund for taking the time to write in on these podcast episodes. It's really great to hear your voice and see what you're thinking. I suspect this Halloween episode will also garner some comments one way or the other. And look, we don't claim, I certainly don't claim to know everything and to be infallible. I'm not the Pope. I don't speak ex cathedra. So correct me if you think I'm wrong. And if this show helps you, please let us know. It's really encouraging to read these kinds of comments. To add your voice to the mix, please visit restitudio.org and go to the podcast archive where you can find the episode you'd like to comment on. Also, if you don't mind, please review us in iTunes or Stitcher so that others can find this podcast and be encouraged to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.